The Start On On Demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Tuesday edition of the podcast for The Start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And she is indeed back, so we're going to open the show by asking her what she thinks about the song Baby It's Cold Outside. That was the question of the day on Monday. Do you agree with a Cleveland radio station for pulling that song from their airwaves because they had some complaints that it's not appropriate in 2018, citing the Me Too movement. So we want to know what she thinks about it. Also, Airbnb and Travelemming.com have named Winnipeg and Manitoba among their must-visit destinations for 2019. So we're going to talk about that and talk about what we think is driving it. Selkirk reopens all of its schools after shutting them all down on Monday after some online threats on Sunday. We are going to speak to the superintendent of that division to get some insight into what goes into that kind of a decision to shut all the schools down. A school in North Vancouver has had to lock all of its bathrooms after a surge in vaping on the school grounds. We'll get reaction from the Manitoba Lung Association. And another Canadian has rocketed into space. We'll speak to Scott Young, manager of the Planetarium and Science Gallery at the Manitoba Museum. Ren McNabb has returned... And Loren, as you're just getting seated here, sauntering into Slowly the studio. Slowly sauntering in, vacation mode style. We got we to gotta ambush you with a question of the day from yesterday. Yes, go. Brought to you by Mr. Furnace, by the way. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. And yesterday's question was a landslide win for the no side, Greg. You found this story. Cleveland Radio Station. Do you agree with a Cleveland Radio Station, Loren McNabb, for pulling... Baby, it's cold outside. Yeah, that's a. I thought about that a lot this morning because I was listening to that on uh, Drex's show that airs before us. Yeah, I, I think so. If you listen to the lyrics, I think it has like not terrific connotations. Now, there's a point being made that it's looking at like a 19, what is it, 1940s song? Yeah. In a through a 2018 lens, but maybe that's what we need to be doing with some things. So I'm okay with it. You're okay with pulling it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Now, Jen Kirkman is one of my favorite female comedians. She's very feisty on Twitter, and she also brings a different point of view. And she says it's not about the fact that this is a man trying to coerce, and a lot of people pointing out, sounds like an underage woman. Mm -hmm. You know, we can move aside from that or apart from that. She says it's a fact that this woman in this song has to apologize to no less than three people if she wants to make the same decision as this man. Let's pretend, let's pretend they're going to have consensual, consensual sexual relations. Mm-hmm. She's got to go home and explain to her mom, her dad, and her auntie yep. that live under her roof that she made a decision to stay over at a man's house. Yeah. So it's the double standard that, sure. that angers... Jen Kirkman, and you can follow her on Twitter. She's a good follow, no matter what side of the gender spectrum or any topic you have, you'll agree and or disagree with her in probably often in the same day. Well, I think the idea is the song's supposed to be that dance, you know, that happens in many relationships. And I mean, I use dance in a like... Do you want to go on a date? No, not really. How about do coffee? Okay, maybe. You know, those kinds of things. I don't mean dance and like, let me convince you to stay so that we can eventually... 
knock boots together. <laughs> knock boots. I don't know. I was trying to think of a nice way to say that. Uh, saw so, the 1990s reference. I, I, I do think that, you know, there's there's room for change. Like, I'm not angry about the song or anything, but I, I hey, if people were, it was driven by listeners. The listeners in Cleveland feel like that it's time to say goodbye to that song. Say goodbye to the song. Well, a handful, yeah, of listeners. Let's be let's be clear about that. Yeah, usually this stuff is driven by uh, by a couple of people, and not to say that their opinions should be discounted. But the question of the day results. The options were yes, the lyrics are no longer appropriate for 2018. Six percent voting in favor of that, with 94 percent voting in favor of no. Give me a break. It's a Christmas classic. <laughs> Ta- regardless of the, if it's not a Christmas song, doesn't matter. We always hear it at Christmas time. On Instagram, I put a poll there too, a little bit closer, but not much. 14% yeah. say, yeah, it's creepy. And 86% say, I mean, give me a break. When you stop and listen to it, like I actually love the, I like the whole song and the banter back and forth and stuff. But when you stop and read the lyrics, I think there's the creepy's not the craziest How thing. How many songs? For sure. Would FM absolutely. stations have, have to, to scrape if they scrub, they went did a forensic there's... audit on all <laughs> no, the lyrics on FM radio right now. You'd have to scrub two thirds of the songs. Yeah. No, some of them based are on the innuendo and connotations yeah, involved. My kids were singing Desposito last summer. Was it big last summer? Yeah, and they didn't. Really know the words because obviously it's uh, in Spanish. But then I went and googled the lyrics like in Spanish and the translation. I was like, "Oh, the five-year-old should not be saying that." <laughs> like, you don't know. You're like everyone's like Despacito. You're like, "Oh, yeah." I remember uh, when Push sexualized. It, yes. like, Salt and Pepper was a big oh, song, for sure. and I didn't know what it meant when I when that song was big. I think it was eleven. I can't remember exactly, but uh, my mom made it very clear that I should not be listening to that song. It was inappropriate for a child my age. Oh. Like a Virgin by Madonna and all 12-year-olds across the globe were seeing it, myself included. Yep. Yeah. So, hey, hey, I don't know. <laughs> Jackie still cannot believe that her mom bought her uh, Open Up and Say Ah by Poison once upon a time. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's totally fair. <laughs> right? Oh, She's God. like, I had no idea what what they were trying to say. My mom definitely no, had I, no idea. I remember getting the Madonna cassette and my mom going through all the lyrics first because it wasn't on the jacket for some reason. And so she said, Let, I'm going to listen to that tape. And I think she wrote them all out and then was like, you can listen to one song. One, four, seven. Like, really? Papa Don't Preach is not acceptable for you right now. Like there was a whole... And it was fair. Like some of it was, it was not because the song was bad. It just for a certain age group, it was opening up a conversation that like I couldn't possibly grasp about what was being said. Oh, about. but I don't know. Papa don't preach when that because we're the same age. And when that song came out, I remember thinking, you know, this is a, this is a. It even struck me then as a good cautionary tale. It is. A, it is for sure. But it was like, what conversations are you ready to have about? Uh, abortion or teen pregnancy just depends on where you are at in your life or your own relationship with your parent and if if they're ready to start your kid coming home and being like why is she in trouble deep you know what happened yeah I also just why can't she keep the baby like those like those are all the things that would have come out can't you do no I suggest if you don't want to have difficult discussions with your kids or your parents just don't dig too deep into (laughs) any lyrics of any song because uh, most of them there's a story there. For sure. Yeah, we Absolutely. Had one of our listeners, too, is pointing out you should do an analysis on anything by Snoop Dogg or mm-hmm. rap music in general. Oh, good so. gracious. Or um, Metallica. There's a couple songs, and as 
and we like the kids like the drums in them. And then I'm, as I'm listening to it, I'm like, is this song about crack? Like, I, like, I think it's like an addiction song. Wow. But, you know, if you and if you Google it, sure enough, someone somewhere is going to either interpret it in a certain way, whether or not it was actually meant to be that way. Or there's theories as to why that person was singing about that at that time in their life. You know, just I pretended like it was just had some really good drumming. How about I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus, you know, break that one down. Man sneaks into the house in the middle of the night. <laughs> Isn't it Kids dad? Sneak out. Well, of course it is. But, but if you want to take it literally there, you could do that, right? And you could say, yeah, inappropriate. So we, you can continue to weigh in. We will have a new question of the day up for you soon at cjob.com. Also this morning, we have tickets to give away for Corey Hart. Wait for your cue to call for that. He's coming to Winnipeg next year, Bell MTS Place. And at 7.15, I'm looking forward to this. I don't even know what... Greg, you handed me the story, but I haven't read it yet because I want to hear it Mm -hmm. regarding this Ace Ventura thing with the guy driving (laughs) with his head out the window. I suspect it doesn't go very well for him. Well, there's one word that can sum it up and... Only one person can say it, and that's Jim Carrey, so we'll let him say it later on this Hey, morning. I spent the past two days refusing to stop and get uh, washer fluid, and so I, I feel oh. Ace Ventura's pain. Lu- I was thinking about it. Do I have to stick your head out the window? Well, I couldn't see anything, and I was like, I need to stop. But it's four in the morning, and I don't want to get out of my car, and... Is ever, anyone going to be there to do it for me? Do you ever do that? I've had to do that where I take my water bottle and just oh, kind of yeah. hang it out the window and try to throw it onto the yeah. windshield. Or snow. Like I'll pull over and do a snow chuck and oh, then yeah. carry on. Did that one. Yeah. Do a Manitoba shoe shine while you're at it. What's that? Stick your boots in the snow bank. Use the weight <laughs> of the snow. Move your toe and your foot around in the snow bank. Ah, Manitoba shoe shine. <laughs> <laughs> what I used to wash my car. I just waited for it to snow. <laughs> We want to start this half hour with some exciting news from a tourism perspective. Uh, Travel Manitoba thinks this is going to lead to an extra $100 million a year into tourism in this province because Manitoba... $100 million? Yeah. Mm-hmm. $100 million a year. Hmm, that's so, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I always wonder where they get these numbers, but uh, hey, if it's $5 million, great. Yeah, they know the multipliers, right? They know how much an average person spends when they come to the city and then the average day. It's a, it's a very common formula. And so, yeah, these sorts of things apparently translate into no, more people. Okay, what are these sorts of things? Well, Manitoba was named by Lonely Planet as a top 10 travel de- destination for 20. 20- 2019, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Now, a couple of organizations have stepped up and said pretty much the same thing. Airbnb is one of them. They've named Winnipeg as the only Canadian city to make their top 19 destinations. And Travellemming.com says Manitoba is one of the top nine emerging travel spots for North America. And that's uh, sort of a website comprised of various travel experts in all sorts of walks of life. So yesterday on the news, with Julie Buckingham and guest host Tristan Field-Jones, they spoke with Airbnb Consumer Trends spokesperson Ali Kalam, who says Winnipeg saw a 140% increase in searches on Airbnb this year compared to last year. So while it is among one of the largest cities in Canada, 
Winnipeg is also a little off the beaten path from other major hubs like, say, Vancouver, Toronto. Winnipeg also has no shortage of culture for both residents and travelers any time of the year. You know, with the historic, the Forks warehouses being transformed into shops and restaurants, as well as um, some considerable outdoor space for summer festivals and concerts, it's a great year-round destination for travelers. And heading into 2019, we're seeing Airbnb travelers are craving destinations that have adventure, culture, outdoor immersion opportunities, and experiences that unearth history, as well as the chance to disconnect from devices and reconnect with nature. So for those looking to have an unmatched and timely experience, Winnipeg's ultra-modern Museum for Human Rights, the first of its kind, dedicated entirely to the evolution, celebration, and future of human rights, is likely a huge draw for travelers looking to get that cultural immersion. Also, with travelers' desire to connect with nature, that rail service to the Hudson Bay being restored, the connection to the polar bear capital of the world, Churchill, might also be super enticing to travelers looking to explore the area. Another thing Airbnb has noticed, travelers looking into more sustainable, healthy tourism. That benefits not just the guests or the traveler, but also the locals who live in that area. And with Winnipeg and the greater Manitoba region having a growing influence of Indigenous culture on tourism with a responsible approach to boot, travelers are really interested in these chances to both engage with the traditional culture in a way that both economically benefits those communities without disrupting those preserved areas. I got to tell you, I mean, and I realize when I talk about healthy tourism, it doesn't mean exactly what she she just said, but I, I still think of my trip to Mazatlan, which was any Anything but healthy in terms of what I consumed. But because you're in the sun or something? is Just the food and all the drink that I put no, in. My goodness. So, oh, you're thinking the opposite like yeah, of health. I, I was oh, not healthy. I thought you had like a segue there, that, but I was in the sun or no, no. like I swam once a day. There was no, nothing healthy Zero about healthy. That okay, got it. Yeah. But it's cool that people are looking for that kind of thing and that they can find it here. Now, of course, I've linked our global news story to the CJOB Instagram feed if you want to check that out. And for more information on Winnipeg making the top 19 destinations for 2019 with Airbnb, go to airbnb.com throughout the month of December for details on Winnipeg and their other top destinations for next year. But we don't have to go through the full list here. But just some of the, some of the things, like, it, it always seems odd and maybe this is just the winnipegger in me the modest winnipegger in me seeing winnipeg amongst all these other things like the great smoky mountains in the u.s just sounds so majestic or uh calabria in italy pondicherry in india santa catarina state in brazil and then winnipeg yeah (laughs) i'm trying to look at this list and there's only uh us and, uh, no, two other American destinations and then us in the top 15, say. The Catskill Mountains yeah. in Hudson Valley. Uh, Mozambique is in there. Buenos Aires. Puebla in Mexico. And on the, the Travel Lemming site, a different Mexican uh, destination. Is it Valladolid? 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 Vio, uh, I don't know. I feel like that's right. Yeah. So, hey, this is cool. Uh, Travel Lemming, by, by the way. Uh, so the kind of people that have contributed to that list, it's a panel of travel writers, bloggers, podcasters, and more. They gave Manitoba the 2019 Judges Award as a top bucket list destination for travel enthusiasts. So not just on the list, but the top. Here's the thing. Sometimes you look at these lists and you do exactly what you just did, Brett and Loren, and you look through the other names and you go, oh, yeah, okay, there's another Indianapolis, Indiana, or these places that we equate ourselves. Those 
places are not on this list. The traditional other cities and other countries where we think we compare. And I think that Dana Spiring from Economic Development Winnipeg says this all the time, that we're our own harshest critics and we have to be our own best ambassadors. Well, I said when I first heard it that I went looking to see if it had been sponsored in some right. way. Like, it, did we pay for that? Was there advertising there? Mm-hmm. Which goes to show you where I'm coming from is the pure for cynic sure. there. Absolutely. But I think we have to realize that our community, our city offers travelers and visitors some things that other places just can't offer. And we do it we do it fairly well. And I think it's time we embrace it instead of looking inward all the time and going, like, when they get here, they're going to be really disappointed. Mackley McGarry McNabb and 680 CJOB. We've been talking about how Winnipeg and Manitoba have once again been put under the spotlight by the tourism industry. Amber McGookin has more. A winter wonderland or a frigid wasteland. It's all about perspective, and it's something that's been changing about Winnipeg after recently making three top travel destination lists comparing cities around the world. People will point to the Jets. People will point to the Heritage Classic. People will point to the Grey Cup. People will point to FIFA Women's World Cup. I, you know, I, I don't think it's any one thing that has changed Winnipeg's perception. I think it's, it's uh, many, many things. And, and we continue to have that momentum shift. Tourism experts say the journey to Churchill exhibit, the Canadian Museum for Human Rights, the Forks, our restaurants and our arts and culture scene are some of the reasons people across the globe are taking a closer look at Winnipeg. So much so that Travel Manitoba is banking on increases of $100 million in tourism revenue annually for the next four years. There's a lot of people paying a lot of attention to Winnipeg, so I anticipate right across the board, whether it's in Winnipeg or throughout the province of Manitoba, we're going to see substantial increases. The tourism experts say with even more attractions coming to the city, like the new Inuit Arts Centre and the new Diversity Gardens coming to the Assiniboine Park, it's providing even more reasons to draw people to Winnipeg. Amber McGookin, Global News. So, Travel Manitoba thinks, is hoping that this will pump another $100 million into our economy in terms of travel, and they have a goal of $2 billion for tourism revenue for the province by the year 2021. So again, Winnipeg making the list for Airbnb and Travel Lemming, and a few weeks ago was Lonely Planet. So we have gathered the troops. Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Fortier is here. And uh, Braun, you're from... Where, where are you from, Altona? Altona. Okay, so how much of, uh, how familiar are you, I guess, with much of southern Manitoba in terms of just wandering around, exploring? Oh, I don't go exploring. Never? <laughs> not really. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not at all. Yeah. yeah. Just stay on the couch? Mostly. That's yeah. what we do. It's our thing. Yeah, the couch potatoes. Yeah. Fair enough. But when you are in the community then or in, in, in the city, do you, like where do you go out to eat? Oh, sh- Little Caesars. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> There's a lot of those around. <laughs> I don't know. We would try different restaurants here and there. Tours of Manitoba yeah. is cringing right now. <laughs> Do you think it's different now that uh, your lifestyle is sort of changing without getting super personal about uh, I go to, I go to a few better restaurants than I used to, yeah. yeah. But, uh, I'm mostly indifferent to food, so it doesn't really matter to me. Well, that's right. You're kind of fussy. <laughs> so, I mean, Winnipeg's Not a, fussy, just indifferent. No, you're fussy. Uh, I've, I've broken bread with you a couple of times. The, 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 the <laughs> fact that Winnipeg has kind of a foodie's paradise has only happened in the last decade or so. Is and it I think that's different than other cities. 
Like, do you tell me in Pittsburgh there aren't good restaurants? Oh, no, there are. It's just the fact that Winnipeg is now on that Uh. list. And and now, you know, we were talking about how when we were in Helsinki and, you know, I went for a beer after both hockey games to the same place both nights. And guess what? I saw the same people on the on the Friday night that I saw there on the Thursday night, people very quickly find a, a place that's comfortable, Kelly, when you're on the road. Oh, for sure, yeah. And, and I, I think Winnipeg is caught up. And I think uh, that uh, it's because the attitude, even though it's probably been slower than most of us would like, I think the attitude has shifted a little bit more closer to the pride factor as opposed to, you know the you know we're we're still the beating ourselves down for everything. Deprecation. Yeah, exactly. And you know we take things for granted in this city. We really do. Hmm. Uh, you know when you, I mean, my daughter and her husband just came from BC uh, at Thanksgiving and were blown away by the Human Rights Museum. Absolutely blown away and wished they'd had more time to spend there. You know, and she's lived here before, but she couldn't believe how different the Forks is now when she was a teenager living here. You know, so there are, are things about this city that we have in our backyard every day. Folklorama, you know, is 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 a is a hidden treasure. How many Winnipeggers have never even gone to a Folklorama pavilion? Yet their attendance is, is the equivalent, almost the equivalent of our entire city yeah. every summer. It's a, almost 500,000 pavilion visits. Right, because tourists come here and say, holy crows, can you believe this? Yeah. So there are, are different things happening in around Winnipeg. In, in over and above the uh, you know the, uh, the the food eating experience that you just described, how much of this you talk about the pride? How much of that was escalated and elevated by what happened with the Jets this past spring? I think there's a oh. huge factor there. Well, For I think sh- at the very least, it, if you didn't know Winnipeg, like, or if you'd only imagined the three things that were often in national headlines for still, which is yeah. crime rate or weather or mosquitoes. Which is true. It's still true. Like the national stories you see still oh, yeah. prevail yeah. on those. Some of them are statistically true and some of them are just stereotypes. But yeah. Winnipeg, like how we look during that whiteout, I think framed us differently and then might have had people going, where is this place? Like in New Jersey yeah. or San Jose or I don't know where they're watching and thinking, oh, I'd like to know more. Yeah. We have a listener. I'm not going to identify her, but she works at the zoo. <clears throat> and she says that it makes sense. That Winnipeg is on the list because we have travel bloggers coming through my work every week, and I am constantly hiding from the Canada's signature experience tours <laughs> uh, that come through. And uh, Kelly, you referenced the Forks. I went there for the first about a month ago. I guess it was longer. It was during Burger Week, and it was the first time I'd been there in a long time. And I was completely blown away by the how the, the market's sort of been revitalized and just the whole area was packed. Yeah, the Forks Common. I mean, that is just mm-hmm. a fantastic place and to be on free. I think that's yeah. part of our problem, though, too. We were talking about, like, so the Forks is free, but the Human Rights Museum you have to pay for. Yeah. We're going to soon have that diversity gardens, so and we're going to have to pay for that. And you forget that when you go to see things in another city, you're spending hundreds of dollars per day in tours and museum visits and all the rest. But we still like it free. And so then when we list all the good things about Manitoba, people also say, yeah, but that costs money. Forche, when I was your age, I couldn't get out of here fast enough. Okay, um, I loved Winnipeg, and I and and I was proud to be from here. But I wanted to be from here. I wanted to live somewhere else. How about your generation? Are 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 your friends sticking around? Uh, some of them are, like you were 
like how you were, trying to get out of here as fast as possible. Me, not really. Um, I like this city, and I don't take advantage of all the restaurants that we have. Um, it's actually kind of funny, because my brother just moved back from New Zealand. He lived in Auckland for about four years, just moved back. And he's doing this thing now where he's trying to look for the best pizza places, not the big chains. Little Caesars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. not Little Caesars, not but little he's, little yeah, Caesar he's, looking, all due he's looking for those little mom-paw shops that mm-hmm. just make the best homemade pizza. So I, I feel like I should get into that more. But yeah, when it comes to my generation, there are still people who are trying to get out of here, trying to go to Montreal, BC, uh, Toronto. So yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I find it kind of 50-50. Did he come back with an accent? No, no. Actually, That's when, too bad. When, when he came back here and he, he heard some uh, Winnipeg radio, he's like, oh, sounds so good not to hear that accent. Really? <laughs> yeah. Got tired of all the Kiwis. Yeah. Yes. Hey, let me know what he finds when it comes to the pizza. Uh, of course, uh, I mean, I, I know I've, I like the Santa Lucia yeah. and I like Tony's pizza, but, and as, which as for the restaurants, like I think in the last year alone, I've visited. I think I I kept tried to keep a list fifty restaurants and they're all these one off places that I had never bothered to explore in this city and that's the kind of thing that I'm really been enjoying about the last year and since we really started doing this show Greg is that I'm trying to open my eyes to see what Winnipeg has to offer and it's endless yeah and they're in these unique locations as well which opens your eyes to other businesses other that have city, sprung yeah. up you know I think of Sherbrooke. And the changes on Sherbrooke Street. Yeah. It was Stella's that drew me down to Sherbrooke five years ago. It was Eddie's Garage before that. There was not much happening then, like 15 years ago. But in the last five years, Sherbrooke Street around Misericordia Hospital up to Broadway, completely transformed. We start this hour, Loren McNabb. In Selkirk. Yeah, classes are back on at all schools in the Selkirk School Division this morning. Fifteen of them were closed Monday after several violent and repeated threats were made from three different teens in that community on social media. And while the RCMP eventually arrested all three, the school decided to cancel classes Monday while the police investigation continued. Michelle Polinek is the superintendent with Lord Selkirk School Division and joins us on the phone now. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Lauren. So classes are back on. Is there a message that will be shared with students first before proceeding as business as usual, if I can use that phrase? Um, Absolutely. Um, There was information sent to all staff. So whether it's students or cleaners or support staff and principals in regards to the actual police release and then the division information that teachers and staff can talk to students about. And teachers are encouraged when the kids come back to see if the kids have any questions and to use it as an education opportunity in regards to social media and appropriate use of. Some people, uh, it's Greg here, Michelle. And some people, uh, you know, like to make a correlation between back in the good old days when we pull a fire alarm to get out of taking a test or something. This is far more serious than this. And policing it, I suspect, is just as challenging with regard to social media and how easy potentially it is for someone to make a statement that that is very, very serious and needs to be taken seriously. Absolutely. Uh, Social media, um, whereas there's a lot of positive um, ways to connect with it and keep in touch with people, it also does lack the emotional connection and and 
difficult and easier to, you know, intend to hurt someone, whether it's someone individual or an organization or like what we experienced a couple days ago with the whole school division. This is the second time that a school in this term has been closed in Selkirk because of a threat from a teenager or a student. So is there a bigger issue at play? Um, unfortunately, we're hearing right across Canada that social media has caused schools to close. What made us different yesterday is that we closed the entire division because I did not want to put any of our schools or students or staff at um, risk of any of anything, um, any repercussions yesterday. So there's not a sense, Michelle, that there's a bigger crime issue or, uh, you know, the teens might be more vulnerable in some way or there might be different concerns from them. You think it's more just acting out on social media potentially? That's that's really difficult to say. Police might have a better handle in regards to the community and in terms of if it if there's criminal, you know, pieces or whatever. But in terms of educationally, uh, it's about it's about knowing what what's appropriate and what's not appropriate to use using using it for the authentic expression, not just to once you put something out on social media, it's out there for the world. You can't retract it back. Uh, Michelle, has there been any backlash in terms of your response to this and closing the number of schools that you did, or have parents been supportive? Um, The information that I've received, whether it's through emails or comments seen through social media, have been an extraordinary positive response to closing the school. Uh, You can't can't question when it's regarding safety. Safety is paramount. So when it comes to the social media and the ongoing, the ever-growing presence of social media, and you referenced that it's a problem not just here but elsewhere, uh, is this something that staff are now having to, to take time to monitor just to, to watch out for that kind of thing? Well, what we're doing in the schools is we're, we're trying to incorporate it into the health curriculum, for example. We bring in our community police officer to many of our schools to speak about social use and appropriate use. Um, to our students of various ages. And then our community is a very strong-knit community here, and it was due to our community and our parents and our students that alerted the authorities, whether it was school authorities or police authorities, in regards to these last two threats on Sunday night. Is that decision yours, then, the school divisions alone, when it comes to shutting things down when there's a threat like this? Or does that start with the police saying you might want to, in an abundance of caution, keep schools closed? The decision ultimately rests with me. I do make it in consultation with our school board chair as well as other senior administrators, but that's by taking in all the information. So with the information that I had at 5 o'clock in the morning on Monday morning, I felt that that was the best um, decision to make for the students and staff of our school division. All right, Michelle Polinuk, Superintendent, Lord Selkirk School Division, thank you very much for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Okay, thank you so much. North Vancouver School locks washrooms after surge in vaping on school grounds. Loren McNabb. Yeah, the school is basically saying they have such a problem with vaping that they've been left with no choice but to close most of the washrooms except for those on the main floor. So you can still go to the bathroom and there's still a place you can go to the bathroom, but they say all these students are just choosing to use the washroom instead to vape, which, <laughs> which seems extraordinary, but we've been hearing a lot about this. So we are joined now for a reaction on this and commentary on vaping. Neil Johnston with the Manitoba Lung Association joining us live on 680 CJOB. Good morning to you, Neil. 
Good morning. So, first of all, when you hear this story that there are that many students that are vaping on school grounds, what's your reaction as a representative of the Lung Association? Well, it's clearly disappointing in that, uh, you know, there's a new way of uh, inhaling substances that our lungs aren't designed to accommodate. So we're a little bit concerned about that. And it is a novel product, so there's not a lot known about it compared to, for example, tobacco. And uh, some of the things that are emerging from it are worrisome, such as if it is mixed with nicotine or uh, if nicotine is in the... um, vape juice, then it's definitely going to be addictive. Uh, And then there's all the unknowns about what is in the uh, actual juice itself and the effect on the lungs. Neil, before we carry on, uh, it sounds like you're on a speakerphone. Is there any chance you could pick up the headset? The handset. How about now? Oh, that's much better. Thank you so much. Just sounded like you were so far away. We want to get closer to you, buddy. So thank you very much cool. for, for accommodating that. So, I mean, kids are going to be kids, you know, right? Uh, you know, I made the comment uh, to Loren off the air that it troubles me that they're getting their hands on this. And then I immediately remembered, well, I mean, <laughs> kids have been getting their hands on cigarettes and alcohol as long as uh, kids have been kids. Um, so they're going to get their hands on this stuff no matter what. But if you... If they had to pick between one or the other, at the very least, is it better that they're vaping as opposed to smoking? Well, definitely there's less chemicals in vaping uh, juice, so the vaping product, than there is in tobacco. And there's likely less harmful products, uh, particularly the carcinogens or the cancer-causing products. But there's still a lot of uh, potential irritants that are in vape juice itself so there are still some concerns so we certainly don't recommend people start vaping as a new behavior or a new thing but there may be a role for vaping and those who are smoking as a way of harm reduction as they as they wean themselves off of smoking tobacco uh, and try and get off nicotine itself eventually. Neil, when smoking was more prevalent, how early were people starting to smoke cigarettes? And, uh, you know, in the latest surveys that you've done, how early can kids start smoking? I, I, I ask this question for a reason. I'll follow up with you in a moment. Well, it's there's a wide variability. Most people start smoking when they're quite young, We have reports in some communities, uh, basically, as soon as they're able to light their own cigarette. uh, That's still happening. Mostly, though, it's in uh, junior high, high school. And we often target our smoking prevention um, activities at grade four, because that's when it's most likely to have an effect on and reducing smoking behavior later. So you can think about you know, um, ch- uh, children 10 to 14 as being uh, susceptible to the smoking message. But it's, it's, you know, we, uh, it's not surprising when I hear someone who said they started smoking when they were eight. Wow. So I shouldn't be surprised to learn that uh, some of my uh, kids' classmates in grade seven are, are already trying this vaping thing. Uh, yeah, you shouldn't be surprised at all, particularly um, when the vape uh, products first came out. They actually, I mean, the marketing was, it was pretty blatant that it was for a younger market. Like the the, the, the flavors of the vape juice were, you know, candy cane and tutti frutti and 
you know, obviously appealing but, uh, to young folks. I got to tell you, Neil, I'm, I'm sorry. I got to take umbrage with this kind of rhetoric because, like, you walk into a liquor store and how many products are vanilla and apple? Or, like, are adults not allowed to have flavors as well? Like, do you, do you what, like, I don't want to walk into a shop and, and, and I'll, I'll take the hot garbage, please. Mm-hmm. Well, the difference is that, um, it's the control of the sale. So yes, uh, I have no problem with uh, um, you know an adult having a uh, candy cane flavored beverage, but it's at the point of sale that the control can be made. It's when kids were going into buying at a gas station, and there there was very few controls over these kind of things. Uh, now the the controls are better, and it's less likely for a child to be able to directly go into a retail establishment and buy the uh, substance. But also keep in mind, the regulations are still a little bit light, and you can buy some of these products at flea markets. So so there's that whole give and take of, of um, the, the, the marketing versus the access to the product. So if there was a solid control over the product where kids couldn't get um, – the hold of the product through the retail system, then yeah, market whatever you want to do. Uh, but the fact is that the, the um, regulatory approach has leaks in it, and kids are getting hold. You know, there's online. There's um, people are sharing amongst their friends. You know, they get their adults, their 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 parents stuff. Um, there's there's leakage, I guess you could say, in the access. So, in a strictly controlled market then the flavor side of things wouldn't be such a big deal. So it sounds like maybe more regulations are needed, but for now, is it left up to, you know, we've been talking about this North Vancouver school locking the washrooms just to stop kids from vaping in there. Is it going to become a a situation where we have to police it at that level, so to speak? Well, I guess we need to take multiple approaches. Uh, Having less access to places to vape, to make it less socially acceptable, I think that's important. Um, And just getting you know education on the the possible harms of vaping and access to the product themselves and uh, all those things and some of these vape juices they're uh, the jewel product which uh, it's a big issue in the states it has a mu- enough nicotine in there similar to uh, multiple package packages of cigarettes so um, if kids are getting a hold of a product with nicotine and it's possible that they become very quickly addicted to a very highly potent product. So these are all, you know, we need to have regulations on the the amount of nicotine that's allowed and all these, you know, the advertising. And then, of course, the enforcement, which is the other side of the regulation side. Well, Neil, you'll probably be happy to know then that uh, I know at least one local vape chain, uh, Flamingo, they are pushing against, they're pushing back against the juice that is used in that Juul product. It's called a Nick Salt, and they've, right, yeah. they've, they've been following the, the negative effects that that particular product has on people, and they're now recommending people do not buy them until further uh, research and study is done on it because it's having all kinds of bad effects on people. So just forget to let you know that that's going on in Winnipeg's vaping community. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good uh, good to hear. Uh, and I think, you know, it's one of those things where we really don't know a lot about the long-term effects, even though they seem to be or likely to be less harmful than smoking. I mean, and that's not really good yardstick because smoking tobacco kills half the people that, that uh, use it for any length of time. So, uh, you know, where where do we draw the line? Say, okay, well, if it if it kills 5% of the people or makes, you know, where where is that line? So, 
that's what we have to figure out and and then how do we manage the uh, the behavior and the access and all those other related questions. Neil Johnston, Manitoba Lung Association, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate the time and access. Thank you very much. Mackling McGarry and McNabb on 680 CJOB. And it is time to boldly go where our phone guest has not gone before. <laughs> Scott Young with the Manitoba Planetarium Museum. You have, am I understanding correctly, Scott Young, that you once wanted to be an astronaut? Well, yeah, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. And in fact, when Canada first put out its call in uh, 1984, I guess it was, uh, looking for astronauts, I was one of the 7,000 people that applied. Um, I was 12. So um, amazingly enough, it didn't make it past the first round. But uh, the next time they called and they were doing the next class, I applied again. And I applied the third time and the fourth time as well. Actually, in the fourth round, I actually made it past the first round of, you know, so I was in the top 3,500 or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, apparently they like people that, you know, are doctors and scientists and uh, engineers and pilots and explorers and all of those things. So do they weed you uh, out with a test or is it just what's on your resume or how does that work? Well, uh, in all the early ones, it was it was based on the resume, and you you basically you write a little letter saying why you want to apply. Um, the last time I got to the essay stage, where basically I had to write an essay explaining my qualifications and explaining you know what I would do as a Canadian astronaut, because we only have a few astronauts, and so they really need people that are you know multi-skilled, but they also need people like we saw with Chris Hadfield a few years ago, how inspiring a good speaker was someone who can you know really bring the science down to down to earth and get people excited about space and about science and so they're really looking for someone that could do that so i figured maybe i could squeak in on that side of things even though i didn't have all the degrees alas they saw through that and uh, picked a couple of other guys instead one of whom is now on the space station well i want to bring him up and I also want to tie this scott does canada sort of punch above its weight in terms of our population and in relation to how many people uh, from Canada eventually get to go into outer space? I mean, population-wise, we're a pretty small country. Are we? How well are we doing on that front? Yeah, you know, aerospace um, all across the field is one of Canada's great um, hidden talents. I mean, it's something that you often don't hear about, but Canada is a world leader in space, not just in, in human spaceflight, of course, with the, the space station. Um, everybody knows the Canada Arms, of course. That's sort of how we got our our astronauts on board the space station was that expertise in robotics. Um, but we launched some of the first science satellites. We launched some of the first um, communication satellites. I mean, big country, small population, you need to be able to talk. Um, and that, that, that geography sort of forced us to learn about some of these technologies early. And now you've got, you know, countries around the world are, are calling Canadian companies to, to build stuff for them and to work for them. What does it mean when, when people watch and one of their own, for lack of a better term, when they see a Canadian get up into space, uh, does that relaunch a whole other wave of folks like yourself who would be 8, 10, 12 years old thinking, that's what I want to do when I grow up? 
Well, that's what we hope, certainly. Um, I mean, there's something about seeing the Canadian flag in, you know, at the top of a world stage somewhere, whether it's Olympics or whether it's in space or, or whatever it happens to be, um, that certainly generates a lot of national pride. But the idea that, you know, um, you can grow up here in Winnipeg and, you know, become a scientist or an engineer and you don't have to go down and, you know, work with NASA and you don't have to move to Russia or China or something like that. There are all of these opportunities here at home. That's what we try and bring out and and, uh, get kids excited about because, you know, there's the astronaut who's the, the, you know, the one that we all see, but underneath the astronaut, there's thousands of people working in the space program that are supporting that. And, and all of those jobs, those are great high tech jobs, um, and, you know, that's the kind of thing that when I was in university, going through those, some of those hard courses, and I'm like, why am I doing this? Oh, yeah, because when I get this degree, it'll put me one step closer to being an astronaut. That kind of inspiration for me was, was crucial, even though, I, you know, I'm not an astronaut. Um, and I think it's the same kind of inspirational value. You know, we don't, have the, we don't have the Apollo moon landing of the 60s to get people excited. So we have to capitalize on these uh, experiences. And, and uh, David St. Jacques' mission for the next six months is going to be just a, an awesome way to get kids excited about science. Scott Young with the Manitoba Museum and Planetarium is our guest joining us live on 680 CJOB. And Scott, I didn't see the film First Man this fall. It came out in October with Ryan Gosling. But my understanding of this film is that the launch scene where they show it inside the rocket is quite harrowing, maybe even the most harrowing depiction that we've seen of a launch into space ever. Um, is it really that scary? You know, yeah, I think so. Most of the most of those scenes, like we've we've seen, you know, moon rockets launch all sorts of times, and they're all the exterior views. So you see the big rocket and the fire and the the ice shaking off the rocket and the rumbling and the sound and stuff like that, and that that's cool. But that's not what what it's like to ride this thing. You're in this tiny little place, you and two other people in something basically the size of a Honda or something like that, and you're strapped in on top of you know, ten million pounds of thrust that is, is shooting you off into space. And uh, one of the early astronauts famously said, you know, you're sitting on top of this really complicated machine, every piece of which was built by the lowest bidder. And so, you know, <laughs> only takes one thing to go wrong and kaboom. Like you're literally, they don't allow people within five miles of the rocket because if there's an explosion, that's how far the pieces go. And you're sitting on it. Um, that, that's got to be terrifying. And I think they did a great job of, of really portraying that sort of personal bravery, because, you know, yeah, it's a big technological achievement. Yeah, there's a whole big team. But really, when it comes down to it, three people ride that thing into space. And uh, you've you got to be pretty confident in yourself. Now, David St. Jacques uh, isn't all that, you know, overly qualified for this expedition. He's just an engineer, an astrophysicist, and a physician. Yeah, I know. Hey? Are you kidding me? Yeah, well, and and he's yeah he's yeah it's it's kind of ridiculous. Um, <laughs> these people that you know just they they must just start going to school and just decide I'm just going to learn everything. And and uh, I mean that's the kind of things too. But you know, going and getting a medical degree, not, you know, I'm not that interested in medicine. Um, so it's it's amazing that they can do all of this. And so it's not surprising that you know when when. Uh, Canada makes the call. You've got these super qualified people who you just know that no matter what happens up there, they're going to be able to handle the situation because they've got the training, they've got the work ethic, they've got the skills, and just the, the brains when it comes right down to it to be able to figure stuff out.
Plus, it might help your ego, Scott, for not making the cut. You can just say, you know what? I was very close. I just, I'm not a doctor. But that's it. That's all that's well, missing. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, and also, I'm, I'm not fully bilingual in French. And, and while that's not a requirement, they certainly do hope to, uh, to improve on that as well. So, I mean, I, I'll, I'm taking French classes now. I'm not, I'm not getting a medical degree right now, but I am taking French classes. Well, good for you, Scott. Uh, it, uh, you never know what kind of... Uh extraterrestrial life you might meet up there and if you need to have that second uh, language <laughs> yeah exactly i'm sure the aliens will speak french <laughs> <laughs> we don't know you just you don't know, know. <laughs> yeah that's right well hey scott young thank you so much for joining us we appreciate the time as always always a pleasure you guys oh, before you go though yeah i want to play this i don't know if you've seen this uh is it um star trek the next generation deanna troy Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, I did a show with her, actually, and had her as a narrator, so I, I hung out with her for an afternoon in oh. Hollywood one day. Okay, so I wonder if you've heard this clip. Computer dysfunctions. A research inquiry from the Manitoba Journal of Interplanetary Psychology and three communiques from your mother. She's checking her message messages. She has three from her mother and one from the Manitoba Journal of Interplanetary <laughs> Psychology. <laughs> That's hilarious. I had I had not seen that. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch. Uh, I'm gonna pull that up on Netflix tonight and, and check it out because, uh, yeah, there's there's a few connections. A lot of folks from Winnipeg, you know, they go all over the world. There's folks in Hollywood. There's folks all over the place that uh, that call Manitoba home, and it's it's nice to see these callouts. Absolutely, my friend, uh, loyal listener Dallas Williams sent that to me late on uh, Sunday night, so I didn't get a p- chance to play it yesterday. I knew I'd have a reason to do it today. Always nice. good to catch up with you, Scott. Yeah, you too, guys. All right. Thank you very much, Scott Young. He is the manager of the Planetarium and Science Gallery at the Manitoba Museum. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.